What I'd like to share tonight is um, just, just going to be transparent with you and tell you it's not very well put together. Um, but it's a thought that has been on my mind. I'm not going to need that. It's a thought that has been on my mind for a few weeks now. And I um, just thought I'd share with you a few ideas about the God of every generation. The God of every generation. You know, there's some things that age well. Um, some things that are, that are timeless. Um, a, a beautiful example of this is... Uh, some of the hymns of the church. Um, you know, there are many, many hymns that have been written that we don't sing anymore, we don't know anymore, and if we were to hear them, we wouldn't, most of us wouldn't recognize. Um, but then there are those hymns that nearly everybody knows and recognizes, and even some hymns that that many non-Christians will hear and recognize. Um, they're timeless. They age well. You and I are not timeless. Not all of us age well. Some of us age better than others. But we all age but we hear this phrase in Scripture, particularly uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I was reading after someone not too long ago who said that that meant more than just uh, a God of those three individuals, but it indicated that this God is the God of every generation, the God of every generation. I have two verses, two passages of Scripture that I'd like to read to you. Uh, first of all, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, give you just a little bit of context. You're, this is where the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to Jesus and trying to talk to him about uh, the resurrection, and the Sadducees bring up this, this hypothetical scenario uh, based on the Leveret law, the, the law that said if a woman died having no children, that she was to be given to the brother of, uh, of her husband, and so on and so forth. So they made up this scenario about uh, a man that had seven brothers, and the woman, uh, by the time it was all said and done, she had been married to all of them and not ever had any children, and the question was, it was supposed to be a trick question, um, but Jesus didn't fall for it. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Verse 29 of Matthew 22, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now over to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That is El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, or that is Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. This God, God Almighty, El Shaddai, Elohim, uh, or Jehovah, by whatever title uh, or name you want to call him, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and He is the God of every generation. There is not a God of past generations that we can look back to, and it's so easy for us to do in these days that we live in to say, well, you know, I remember how things were, and, and as, as young as I am, I still often think back and remember how things were how things used to be. And I know some of you that have lived longer than I have and can see farther back than I can do much the same. You look back and you remember how things were and probably often not without a sense of longing or desire or at least nostalgia, thinking if only we could see God work, if only we could see God manifest Himself in some of the same ways that we did back there those numbers of years ago. And I've got to be honest with you and tell you that sometimes I share those sentiments but friends, we need to be reminded that God is the God of every generation. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When we look at these titles, in Exodus chapter 6, God spoke to Moses and said, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob, and I was known to them as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But by my name, my covenant name, Jehovah, I did not reveal myself to them. Yet it was first of all through Abraham that God made the covenant. The covenant of calling out a chosen people, a family for himself that would represent him in the world. And as we look at these three generations, we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we think about God and his relationship with them, we see that each one of these generations had their share of troubles and difficulties and Many of those difficulties were self-inflicted difficulties. 
I don't want to minimize anybody or anything, but we look at Abraham and we call him the father of the faithful, yet all throughout uh, his life, not all throughout, but in various times in his life, we see him, rather than demonstrating great faith and trust, we see Abraham demonstrating fear. You remember the story uh, of the time when Abram is, is uh, uh, telling this ruler that his wife, Sarah, is his sister because he's afraid for his own life. She was a beautiful woman, the Scripture says, and he was afraid that he was uh, going to have his own life taken so that Sarah could be stolen away from her. He, he lived with a lack of faith and trust through many parts of his life. Yet God clearly called him. Genesis chapter 17, we read about the call of Abraham. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, that is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And yet, we see Abraham failing to be blameless. Now, maybe it's interesting to note that this is after uh, a lot of things have already taken place in Abram's life. Now, he's been called out of his own people, his own family. Uh, God has made a covenant with him, a promise that he would have a son, and uh, through him all nations, all families of the world would be blessed, and Abram tries to work things out on his own with God. He goes through this process uh, with Sarai and Hagar, trying to, trying to have some offspring for themselves. They're trying to help God out. And uh, that uh, causes all kinds of problems, still causing problems today. And so God comes to Abram in Genesis 17 and again calls him, reminds him of who he is, God Almighty. God Almighty, that is God unlimited. And I believe that God is wanting Abraham to know that you don't need to help me, Abraham, to, to bring about what I have promised. I can fulfill what I have promised. You simply believe and trust in me. We move on from Abraham and we look at Isaac. The Scripture says that God Almighty El Shaddai, that He is the God of Abraham and of Isaac. Something that has intrigued me a number of times is how little attention the scriptures give to Isaac. Has anybody ever wondered that? Um, there's really very little in the scripture about Isaac and about his relationship with God. Um, as I look at the narrative of scripture, it seems to me that Isaac is just kind of a a conduit connecting Abraham and Jacob. We have Isaac just so we can get to Jacob from Abraham. Um, 
And yet, in reading about Isaac, we see in Genesis chapter 26 that just as God was faithful to Abraham, God was faithful and true also to Isaac. Even though the scripture narrative does not give all that much time and attention to Isaac's story, in Genesis chapter 26, it says there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. So God was extending the promise. He's saying the promise was for Abraham, was for your father. And Isaac, I'm also extending it to you. And yet, it's also interesting to see that in this little bit that we read about Isaac, Isaac had problems much like his father Abraham did. In Genesis 26 and verse 6, it says, Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. It's interesting, people often seem to have a hard time really trusting God, fully trusting God. Verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Well, because I thought, you know, he's trying to make excuses for himself. Lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. God continues to show favor and blessing to Isaac in spite of Isaac's fear and doubt and failure to fully trust in God. It goes on even further than that with Isaac. Later on in chapter 26 and verse, uh, let's see, verse 23, from there Isaac went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. One thing that's very interesting when we read about that, that phrase, called upon the name of the Lord. My, my uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that that is uh, not code, but it, but it indicates someone entering into a personal relationship with someone else. He called upon the name of the Lord. So he's entering into a personal relationship with God Almighty, with El Shaddai. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, 
And the commander of his army, Isaac, said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? Listen to what they said. They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. People, our God is the God of every generation. He is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I, I'm not suggesting that we excuse anyone's sin or anyone's uh, failure to fully trust in God. I'm just telling you that God fulfilling His plan does not depend on human performance. The fulfillment of God's plan depends on His own sovereign will and His power to bring it about. And so even in you and in me and in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in the midst of all of their faults and their failures, God said, in spite of you and who and what you are, I'm going to use you and accomplish my purpose. And as I see this story, I see it all kind of building and coming to a head in the person of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, who, pardon me for saying so, but he demonstrated that at least at one point in his life, he was deceitful and a liar. He was the son of Isaac, who also followed in Abraham's footsteps and demonstrated that in his own life he could be deceitful and mistrustful and a liar. And now we come to Jacob, who embodies all of these characteristics and traits to such a degree that his name means deceiver or supplanter. And we see this throughout. Another thing that's interesting, and this is just a side note, but having, you know, my mom and dad had it easy in some ways. They had one boy and one girl. And my mom would often say to me and my sister, you're my favorite boy and you're my favorite girl. And so it kind of made things easy. We have to be a little more careful in our house because we have four boys and two girls. And um, I do not want to be unwise like Abraham and like Isaac and like Jacob. All were who had favorites and very clearly played favorites with their kids. And when I read the stories, I want to say, God, help you. Don't you see what you're doing? But apparently they didn't. And again, it all comes to a head in Jacob where he just so clearly played favorites uh, with his kids. We see Jacob uh, as he uh, 
runs away after he has deceived his, his father Isaac and, and uh, he's stolen Esau's birthright and he's dressed himself up to, to f- at least feel like Esau so that his poor blind father would feel his you know, fur-wrapped arms and think, oh, that's, your voice is not the voice of Esau, but you seem to smell and feel like Esau. He stole, Jacob stole the birthright, stole the blessing, and then ran away. And as he's running away, Jacob finds himself in this place um, where he has this vision of angels on a staircase going up and down. And he wakes up in the morning and says, God was in this place, and I did not realize. I did not know it. You know, friends, it's a wonderful truth for us to realize that even those times when we're running away from life and running away from circumstances, often when we're running away from God, we find instead that we run into Him. And He is there at our greatest extremity and demonstrates Himself to be faithful and true to us and in our lives in spite of how unfaithful we may have been to Him. And in Genesis chapter 35, we read about Jacob taking his family back to Bethel, back to that place where he had first met with God. And in Genesis 35 and verse 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paden Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. But you see, none of this happened until God first brought Jacob to a point where he was willing to confront not just God, but confront himself. You remember that moment when Jacob was wrestling with the Lord and was uh, questioned. He said, I, I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob said. And, and uh, that one that probably most theologians believe is a, is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ said to him, what is your name? What is your name? You know, what's interesting about the story is that all the other times that Jacob had been asked his name, he lied about who he was. He lied to his father. He lied to others. He would not admit to being who he was. But finally, he came down to this moment where he's in a confrontation with God and realizing that if he's going to receive the blessing from the Lord, he's got to be honest and transparent with himself and with God about who he really is. And finally, he is honest and says, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver, the supplanter. 
And I believe that it's then that God takes that one who embodies these characteristics of, uh, of living in fear and living in doubt and mistrust and, and utilizing deceitfulness to, to make his way through the world and God begins to change him from being a deceiver to being one who is favored of the Lord. Because you see, God is God unlimited. He is God almighty. He is God who keeps his promise in spite of, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. But then he does not leave us as we are. He comes into our lives, He comes into our hearts and shapes and changes us. And I, like I said, Scripture doesn't tell us so clearly about Isaac, but it tells us clearly about both Abraham and Jacob, that God confronted each of them in their time. And Abraham, we see, fully, fully committed and trusted himself to God. When After finally God had given him the promised son, and then God said, now, Abraham, I want you to take that son your only son, and then sacrifice him to me. And we don't read the, the between the lines part. All we read is that Abraham got up early the next morning to go and do exactly what God had told him to do. He had come to a place where he was willing to believe and trust. And the New Testament indicates to us that Abraham had such faith in God by that time that he believed if God had not stopped the knife, he was confident that God would have raised Isaac from the dead. And Jacob, in the same way, uh, God had changed and transformed his life until we see uh, that uh, he is walking in faith and in trust. And uh, it, it, it's, it, there's more to that story, but that's probably for another message. Uh, but I'm so glad tonight that God is the God of every generation, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God not just of yesterday, but the God of today, the God of the 21st century. Praise God. Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be people who walk in confident trust of who you are, that you are the God of every generation. Lord, we understand that if you're to be the God of the present generation, that means each one of us, we've got to have our own encounters with you. We can't look back to what you did for grandparents or parents and, and think about how good you were to them, but we, each one of us, must have our own personal encounter with you. And Lord, we pray that it would be a reality for us. Thank you, Lord, for those that are more mature in this crowd tonight. They have seen your faithfulness, and they have learned to walk in faithfulness. Lord, thank you for those of us that are learning to walk in faithfulness. Thank you. I thank you for how you've helped me and how you've demonstrated yourself to be the God of my generation. Lord, would you help us to tell the generations that are still to come that you want to be their God, you want to be their Lord and Master and their ruler, and they can trust you without fear. They can trust you to be faithful and true. They can trust you to keep your promises. You are God Almighty. 
And Lord, we will thank you for all that you do. And Lord, would you just work out your perfect will in our lives.